Yesterday was a beautiful day, wasn't it? 75 degrees or something. Karen and I were sitting out on the porch enjoying that and just looking out on our wheat field growing out there in the front yard. It was great. It was kind of an elephant in the room, though, when you have days like that on March 25th, though, right? The elephant in the room is it's not supposed to be this warm, right? And so the elephant in the room is maybe there's something to this global warming thing, right? But see, it's something you don't want to think about right then because it's 75 degrees, right? That's exactly what an elephant in the room is, is it's something that is so obvious, but you don't want to talk about it because it spoils the moment, right? Well, in this series, Dining with Elephants, we've just been noticing that there are a lot of things that we don't talk about in the Christian faith because we don't want to spoil the moment. It seems like we're not a team player if we ask questions. There are elephants in the room, and I just say, hey, what do you do when an elephant comes to, into the room but just invite him to dinner, Right? Let's just have them sit down. I mean, if God can't handle the elephants in the room, I think that we're all here in vain, right? And so just invite them. Just invite them. So we've talked about some of those things that are they're like out there, but we don't talk about. Like the first one was, are the Gospels really historically reliable, like other historical records? Because it's important that it's, it happened if we're basing our faith on it. And uh, I think then we talked about, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? I mean, that's an elephant in the room with so many world religions. And what about people who never hear the gospel? What about them? That's an elephant in the room. And so we've spent three weeks dealing with those elephants. I can't go over all that stuff. But if you're interested in any of those questions, you can check them out online on our website. Today we want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is... Why are so few people healed when we pray for them? Because like healing, that's like a big thing for us, isn't it? We actually believe that God heals people, but if we can, can we talk? Our batting average is terrible, right? We pray for lots of people to be healed, but the percentage of people who are actually experiencing some kind of a divine healing is pretty small. And that's one of those things you just, well, don't, just don't talk about it, right? Just, just don't ask. Why not? Let's pray. Father, we invite you to come now in the teaching part. And, and you've been good to be with us so far. It's a pleasure to be in your house. It's a pleasure to be together as your people and experience the dynamic of your Holy Spirit moving in the room. Thankful for each person here, Lord. And I just pray now that uh, you know these words that I plan to say are what you want them to hear. And if they're not, I freely invite you to change them, every one of them, Lord. Because they didn't come to hear me. They came to find you. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to be able to do just over uh, these next uh, few minutes is I'm going to just be able to give you an introduction to this topic. But I'm going to offer to come back. I'm going to come back at 3 o'clock today for anybody who wants to come hear the rest of the story, all right? Uh, I'll just, I think I'll be in this room. I'm, whoever wants to come, if there are one or all of you, it doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, if this stuff gets into you a little bit and you say, I want to come back and hear more about that, come. Uh, and we're also going to pray for the sick at 3 o'clock today, too. So if you're sick, uh, if you're facing some, something even catastrophic, I want you to come this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And we're going to spend some time just praying for healing for your body, okay? So that's, what time was that again? Very good. They can be taught, Lord, I told you. So, how come so few people are healed? I mean, it seems like it's what we're supposed to be doing, and 
so few people are healed? Well, my very short answer to that question is this, and that is that the, because the church is broken. The church of Jesus Christ is broken. It's broken. After all these centuries of drifting away from the original model of what the Bible says the church is meant to be, it's broken. When I say church, I mean capital C. I mean, especially the church in the West, especially the American church is broken. Some of you have gone, to us, uh, gone with us to different parts of the world, and some of you have been off different parts of the world, and you see how much, how much more readily people are healed in underdeveloped nations, right? Underdeveloped situations. It's not broken there, but it's broken here. The church, it, the church is broken. It's broken. It's broken. It's not irreparably broken, but it's broken right now. That's why. Something has gone wrong. I mean, the record of the Bible is clear, right? Jesus healed. Anybody know it? Did you get to the Gospels yet, anybody? You did? One person got to the Gospels. Did you notice? I mean, Jesus was a healer. And then he told the church to heal. So that's not the problem, right? Something else is the problem. And that's exactly what happened in the early days as the disciples went out and healed, and then more went out and healed, and then Jesus went to heaven, and then the church healed. And in the first couple centuries, the church was, they were the hospital. They healed. And then the farther we get away from that original dynamic of Jesus Christ as the central reality of the church, and we replace it for something else, we see less healing. We see less power. We see less salvation. We see, oh, could it be less God? Something's gone wrong. Let me approach this over the next few minutes from the same three three, points. positions that we have these other elephants in the room. I want to look at the scriptural point of view. We want to look at a theological point of view, and then we want to look at a logical point of view, okay? So let's just start with the Bible. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. I mean, what does the Bible say about healing? Let's just see it in black and white. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they, meaning Jesus and uh, and, and he just called a couple disciples, so he was just getting started. As soon as they left the synagogue, It's interesting that they had to leave the synagogue in order for this healing to happen, right? As they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That's, That's pretty cool, yeah? It gets better. Keep reading. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That's pretty powerful. Well, there's one. Flip uh, back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Hold on to that. He's preaching this... Good news of the kingdom. That's a really important part of the answer today. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from the region across the Jordan followed him. You got that? So Jesus, you say, okay, well, great, Jesus was a healer, but he, Jesus isn't here. Well, sort of, he's not, but sort of he is too, but let's, let's, I'll give you that. Jesus isn't on the earth anymore as he was. 
Well, did he tell anybody else to heal? We'll turn over to Matthew chapter 10. And now he's going to send out these 12 who had been following him. He's going to send them out. He said, you guys been with me long enough? Now it's time to go. Now you go out and do as I have done. And he says in verse 7, chapter 10 of Matthew, he says, And as you go, talking to the twelve, go preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Make sure you get that and try to answer this question about healing. The kingdom of heaven is near. He told them to say that, to preach that. And then the next verse, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So that was the call to the twelve. You say, well, big deal, I'm not an apostle. What, did he ever do it with anybody else? Well, flip over to Luke chapter 10. Flip ahead to Luke chapter 10. He expands it to 60 more unnamed people. We know who the 12 were. We have no idea who these 72 all were. And then Luke, which doesn't appear to be in my Bible today. Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. He's sending out 72. So he's expanding it beyond the 12. And what does he say to them? In verse 9, he says, heal the sick, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. That is so pivotal to understanding this, that the healing is directly connected to the understanding and the outbreak of the kingdom of God among people. Okay? So, did, well, what about when Jesus was still there? Maybe he was like pulling strings, you know, from Jerusalem or something. Well, let's look ahead in Acts chapter 2. He's already gone by this time. He's already died on the cross for us, risen from the dead. Yay. Ooh, ooh, huh? And uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, um, beginning in verse 42, it says they. Now that they here are, are all the believers. 3,000 people just accepted Christ, just came into relationship with Christ. So it's a big group, big group, brand new believers. And it says they, they devoted themselves. Hold on to that word devoted, devoted. That's most of what I'm going to talk about at three o'clock, by the way, is what does that word devoted mean? Because it is key, it is key to the church seeing a resurgence of healing today. They devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching. That's what became the word. So they were devoted to the word and to the fellowship, a devotion to each other. That's why they were selling all their stuff and giving it to each other so nobody had need. Right? They had a devotion, a true devotion to each other, to the breaking of bread. That could mean one of two things. That could have been an early reference to worship because they commonly broke the bread when they worshiped because Jesus said to do that in the ways that they, they were then. But it could also mean what it says down here, that they met in each other's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, that they were just a family Okay? But then it also says, and to prayer, that they were devoted to the word, they were devoted to the fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. Now what happens as a result? Read the next verse. Uh, everyone was filled with awe. Say awe. There you go. Now you're not filled with awe because you just released it. I just made that up. It's like just totally... just. Didn't say it at nine. I hate to drink in front of you, but everyone is filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So it's still on. It's still on. As you, the next chapter, just a few verses later, 
Peter and John were on their way to a place to pray, and they were encountered this beggar who used to stand there, and he used to beg money because he was crippled. He couldn't move. He said, can I have some money? They said, we don't have any money. They said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. I got something better. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. It says he got up, he walked, he ran, he leapt, and he praised God, is what it says. That's better. So, you get what I'm saying here? James says that if any of you are sick, you call the elders of the church, and it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's the Bible. Something's broken, isn't it? Something's broken. You know what I think's broken? Look at, look at an encounter with, that Jesus had back in Matthew chapter 13. Back in Matthew chapter 13, something pretty amazing happens. In Matthew 13, 53, it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his, own, to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Oh, this amazing teaching. Ooh. But look what happened next. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? You know, didn't we? Go to his baby shower? Like, don't we know this person? How could he be so? Isn't this isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did Jesus get all these things? Check it out. And they took offense at him. They took offense. No. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. Check out the next verse. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So was it Jesus' lack of faith? <laughs> but he was in an environment of doubt. And he said, I'm not doing it here. I'm not, that's not how it works. I will move in power. I will move in healing in an environment of faith. That's how it works. Like it or not, that's how it works. What's broken in the church today, capital C, is we have wandered so far from a basic, uncomplicated, disorganized relationship with Jesus to a church that knows how to function without him, to a church that organizationally knows how to function without Jesus, and so we're living in a climate of doubt because we don't need him. We can even, we even know how to present the words of the gospel message in such a way to bring a person to intellectual agreement and have them pray the prayer, but there was no move of the Spirit. We're living in a climate of doubt. The church is broken. We've so developed ourselves that we're now independent of our need of the Spirit. You know, prepare to gasp, but I do a fair amount of reading. I know, doesn't show. This is just an educated guess. It's not scientific, but I'm an educated person, so that's why it's an educated guess. 
When I look at the books that are presented to me to read as a pastor, I would, I would guess that they are 10 to 1 in favor of how to organize your church over how to walk with God. 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Here's what you need to what they say, grow a church. It is so American business model driven, it is so marketing oriented, that it gets to the place that you can draw a crowd, but who says there's a church in the crowd? The Holy Spirit says there's a church there. And if we don't need the Holy Spirit, if we don't depend on the Holy Spirit, we don't have a church, we have a crowd. You know why this church isn't a bigger crowd? Because I refuse to play by the three C's of church growth. You want to know what, you want to know what the inside pastor secret is on how to get your church to grow? Three C's. Coffee, construction, and candy. How many of you, when you, don't raise your hand, how many of you, when you first came here from some other place, you went, what do you mean they don't serve coffee? What kind of church is this? What do you mean I have to bring my own coffee? Honey, I don't think this is where the Lord wants us. Bring your own stinking coffee. I bring mine, you bring yours. Construction. The, the prevailing teaching for pastors today is you need to lead your church to build as much as you can and hold them just inside of the debt ratio that they can tolerate. You've been there. We are two payments away from being debt free. <laughs> Yep. So if you're looking around here, when are these guys going to build a real sanctuary? I like it the way it is. The third one is candy. The teaching is, yes, you can speak the truth, but you have to caramelize it. You have to candy coat it. If we do these three things, we can get more people. But will we have a bigger church? Well, thank you. That's where things have gone wrong. We've just moved away from utter dependence on the Lord. When we look at these scriptures, I think three things come up. And the first thing is that God wants to do some healing. A lot of it. God wants to do some... We read the Bible. God wants to do some healing. A lot of it. It's not supposed to be, Oh, what? Somebody was seriously healed? Oh. It's like, well, of course they were healed. That's what God does. Right? The second thing is God wants to do healing through us. He wants to engage us. We have some part in this. It's part of the discipleship process. It's part of the relationship that he wants to have with us and with the world through us. Is that we would be participants in the healing process. And third, I think the fact that we see so little healing in the church in America today is that something has gone wrong. Something's wrong. We're not supposed to have, like, mostly regular churches, and then you got some weirdo places like this, you know, that believe in healing. It's a weirdo place, that's just because you're weird. It has nothing to do with our theology. 
from a theological point of view, how do we handle this? I'd like to group the theology, the current theology about healing, into three groups. One I just call accommodation theology. And by that, what I mean is theology has been written over the years that simply accommodates the fact that God isn't moving. And so they see that, okay, God isn't healing, God's not doing the cool stuff anymore, so let's write theology that explains that. It's totally backwards, isn't it? It's totally backwards. But that ranges from liberal stuff to really conservative stuff. Liberal stuff like neo-orthodoxy with Rudolf Bultmann, demythologize the New Testament, bah, bah. Thank you. Paul Tillich, neo-orthodoxy. Bible doesn't have to be literal. It's meant to convey a lesson, a message. But it also has very conservative, conservative expressions in dispensationalism. So a hundred years ago or so, Cyrus Schofield rose up and he said, well, I'll tell you why we're not seeing God do stuff now is because it's not the right age for him to do that. In this dispensation, in this age, he's not doing that stuff anymore. That he finished doing that at the death of the apostles. Trouble with that is that not only does it not make biblical sense, but that he was doing stuff after the death of the apostles and all that dispensations that he described. But it became very popular among conservative Christians, especially those who had a high view of eschatology and the rapture and those kind of things, uh, it, because what it did was it gave them an accommodating answer for why it's not happening now. Well, if people are taught that it's not going to happen, they automatically live in a climate of doubt, right? I think the second area of uh, theology is what I just called determinism theology, and that is anything from Pentecostalism to the Word of Faith stuff that just says... Well, if you're determined enough, God's going to heal. But, but Harry, you've got to get more faith, man. You've got to dig down in there. Come on. You've got to say, in Jesus' name, while you're turning around or something. You've got, you got to do it this way, and you've got to get her done. And the reason people aren't being healed is because you're, Ken, you're just not believing hard enough. What If you push that one to its logical conclusion... You say that the four-year-old child died of leukemia because their parents didn't have enough faith. That ain't right. That doesn't appeal to you on any rational level, does it? It is about faith, but it's not about your faith. It's about our faith. It's about the faith of the body of Christ. What's gone wrong is not that you don't have enough faith What's gone wrong is that the church, capital C, doesn't have enough faith. Because we've decided we don't need them. Is this making sense to anybody but me? You know, we have absolutely no tension with medical science. You get this, right? I, I think it's fantastic. I think anything that medical science has to offer us is fantastic and is a gift from God. So when I'm talking about divine healing, I'm not talking about about attention. But I'm talking about a primary way to deal with sickness would be the church, if the church could believe. But the church isn't known for that because we've lost our way. The church is broken. We're not known for that. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a pretty big conversation going on in Washington right now about health care. About 22 million people who may lose their health care, may lose their coverage, 
Now listen to me. Listen. Have any of you heard the church mentioned as part of the solution in any of that? Has anybody said, what about the church? Why don't we... Why don't we make that the first place they have to go to get healing? I haven't heard that. Have you? You just did. Hi, my name is Tom Barquette, and I am not running for president. The third area of theology is called kingdom theology. Stop clapping. George Eldon Ladd from Fuller Theological Seminary wrote a great book years ago called Systematic Theology. And it really heavily influenced not only John Wimber, who is, a, if you don't know, a founder, or real principal person in the formation of the vineyard years ago, but many, 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 many other people. And what he said was, it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. And that the church is meant to be the people who bear the kingdom into the world that the kingdom of God is near, and the church is entrusted with the kingdom. The church is. And when the church comes together and sees that they have the capacity to bring the kingdom of God into a place, into a situation, when the church gets its stuff together and does that, then we'll see healing again. Then we'll see healing again. Because what he says, is just, he says Ephesians is right that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, the dark forces of the air. That this is Satan's kingdom, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, not just so we could get a get-out-of-hell-free card, but so that we could be bearers of the kingdom in the here and now. But that's not something that an individual does. That's something that the church does. So if you're frustrated because you know you have enough faith to see healing and you're not seeing it happen, it's not your fault. If you, believe, if you have a faith to believe for healing, someone will be healed when you can find your way into that climate where the kingdom of God breaks out. Do you ever wonder, I mean, why is it that when people come up here, the move of the Spirit happens in their lives? Man, if you could have just seen their faces just minutes ago. Tom, I thought, I thought you were going to explode, man. Was it cool or what? <laughs> you could just feel why is it here? Why do we even do that? Hey, come on up. See what it It's faith. And we create a, a pocket of the kingdom here. And, we, and people come out of a mixture of faith and doubt. Now, if you're filled with doubt, it ain't your fault either. You were born into it. You've been taught it. But I'm saying here that Jesus Christ is who he is today who he was then and is here to move among us if you'll just have have faith and can just gut gut your way through that to a place where you go, all right, doesn't even all make sense, but I'm going to believe it. He give you all the evidence you need after. How many of you are happily married? Don't raise your hand. Because if you do and she doesn't, dude. <laughs> right? But it's still a faith, wasn't it? It was still a statement of faith when you said, I do. I mean, you had your list, your pros and your cons, and talked yourself out of the cons, right? And at some point, you two just, you're just adorable, you two right there, I'll tell you what. 
How long have you guys been married? Like 100 years? Well, uh, not you, Dora, but Dick, definitely. <laughs> if you could just see them up here, they just look so like a couple of teenagers right there. But it was, a, it was an act of faith. Yeah? And then you got evidence later. Hmm. We're part of a collective. And if the collective is filled with doubt, the kingdom is not going to bear. It's not going to break out. We're not declaring that the kingdom is here. We're saying the church is here. We got all the programs. We can do everything from give you food to teach your kids how to play basketball. Follow us to nowhere. Capital C. We're part of it. We're part of the problem. We're also part of the solution. You remember a few months ago, I was on a thing where I said, if you want to be prayed for for healing, come back in the closet back there. Was that cool or what? I felt led by the Holy Spirit to do that. And we got more reports of people actually being healed when we went back in the closet than we ever have before. Including one guy, he was literally on the gurney. I can't remember exactly what his position He was on the gurney, ready for surgery. Doctor came out and said, hey, good news. We don't need to do the surgery. Uh, again, we're not saying, oh, you foolish physicians. We're not saying that at all. I, I would think that he or she was as happy as the patient was, right? I don't have to cut you open. I wonder why I was back in the closet. I have no idea what they're laughing at. Ushers. Because this was an outpost of the kingdom of God, because the people who walked through those doors believed, and we had a sense of combined faith in a spot that we didn't have in general. Why, when Robbie Dawkins came for that conference, why was my shoulder healed? Why were so many of you healed that day? Why? Because who comes to a healing conference? People who believe in healing, right? And so, is this making sense to anybody? All right, I have two minutes and 15 seconds left on my clock, and I started it late, so you're going to have to get with it. Logical point of view. And we want to escape the circular logic. One of the things we're trying to do in this series is let's get out of this circular logic. Like the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. That's not a proof of anything. That's circular logic. The Bible's true because you believe it's true, and you found it to be true. Okay? I'm going to give you four things. First, it's always God's will for us to earnestly pray for healing. Always God's will for us to earnestly pray for healing. We should never approach uh, healing with that thing, and if it be thy will. It's thy will that that we pray. He said do it like 90 times, right? It is not always God's will to heal. Whoa! When I'm 567 and I've been kept alive because you guys kept praying for healing, I wish you'd just quit. 
There's at some point we're all going to go to heaven, right? But that's the minuscule situation. When we're talking about a person who has, you know, somewhere in their life where they're facing a physical situation, it is always God's will that we pray for them. And, and sickness is never from God. It is always from Satan. It's part of the fall. Disease is part of the fall. Don't tell me. Stop. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that God sometimes gives us sickness to teach us something. What kind of... What kind of God gives leukemia to a four-year-old so that his parents will start paying attention? Come on. You got kids? Do they ever act up? Hey, kid, come here. I got a little vial of smallpox I'm going to give you here. I'll teach you to smart off to me. That doesn't make sense to anybody, does it? Come on. Kingdom theology said it is God's will to come. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to heal. Let's invite the king of, to, of kings to come in, establish his kingdom, and we will see a substantial and exponentially greater number of people being healed. Number two, God creates a climate of consisting healing amidst the devoted faith of sincere believers. He's going to create a consistent, the devoted faith of sincere believers. That's what I'm going to talk about at 3 o'clock. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Number three, logic. The church, especially in developed nations, has largely traded in the simplicity of the devoted faith for the complexity of organizational religion. We know how to do it. We're good. We're good. We got this, Lord. We're making you a really nice church. hurts, doesn't it? And then finally, in this climate of a consistent lack of devoted faith of the body, only a few people are going to be healed. We're swimming against the current, guys. We need more swimmers. Why do we keep praying for people when so few of them are healed? Because it's wrong that they're not. So what do we do? How do we fix this? So what do we do? How do we respond? The word devoted means you're all in. You're all in. This isn't sort of part of your life. It is your life. Your job is part of your life. Right? (laughs) Walking with Jesus is your life. It's time to go all in. And they devoted themselves to these things. This is when we will see consistent healing in the church again. So Lord, we come now and invite your presence to do what we always say. Do whatever you want to do because it's your church, not ours. We're your sheep. We don't even belong to ourselves anymore. We've bought at a price. We belong to you. So we invite you, God, to come and just do whatever you want to do, Lord. I have no plan.